Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale July 17th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus, a.k.a. Agent M. A-R-K-E-R space S-N-I-F-F-E-R. What? A.k.a. Agent Marker Sniffer. I thought you were spelling your name at first, and then I got <laughs> confused yeah, when no, you started going to the sniffing. And I was like... I, yeah. I found, basically, for listeners out there, I found a, a, like just a, a, a marker here at uh, where we record and i started gave it a whiff whoa so like That's there powerful. are the safety regulations around markers today I, I imagine are a lot stricter than they were when i was a child because i was like oh this smells like when i was in like a junior like a young person yeah. in school yeah one of those youths yeah you know it just yeah. reminded me of the smells of art class yeah and yeah like goofing around totally yeah i haven't had yeah that was um i would not give that this specific brand of pungent marker to a like a ten year old no. would just knock him over. Yeah, this thing's intense. Uh, Tucker, welcome to, welcome to the bullets. Uh, happy Comic Con week! Oh yeah, it's a it's a big one. By the time y'all are listening to this, we are nearly on our way to Comic Con. Well, I say we, I mean me and yep. Triple P uh, for her first Comic Con. She is here. She's listening. She's very excited. Tucker will be manning the fort back at home. That's right. We will have a Marvel's The Polis stage event at the Marvel booth. Um, you can check the schedule or tweet me when that has become public because I don't have it in front of me. It's not on our sheets, but it is happening. Uh, we're going to have giveaways and fun stuff, and we're going to play a game. We've got some cool guests. So just a reminder, you can go to marvel.com slash SDCC19 for all the schedules and the news and the updates. Uh, I'm going to be posting lots of photos and videos and, and all kinds of stuff. Is there anything you want me to bring you back from San Diego? Oh, man. Just get like a some Tupperware and then go to the, the floor and just whoosh, like whirl it around and wash it top, up. Put the top on. Bring bring that back to me. Talk about, man, it's a it's all about the whiffs and the sniffs. Whiffs today. and sniffs. That's uh, Tucker's <laughs> new catchphrase. Uh, you better bust it out a couple more times in this episode. Sure. Um, but yeah, we've got comics to talk about. Let's dive into things first with Age of X-Men Omega. This is the end of of the Age of X-Men. It is written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, with art by Simone Buenfantino, with colors by Trina Farrell, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, and this is this is the end of everything yeah. for more, this. More like more like Age of X-Men Oh my God. It's pretty good, Tucker. Thanks. You're on fire today. Oh, man. Uh, I will say one thing. If you're going to read this issue, mm-hmm. as well as Uncanny X-Men number 22, both of which are out this week... I would say read Age of X-Men first. Yeah. Neither is necessary for the other, but they do complement each other. And I think if you are reading both, you will get a more fulfilling uh, experience from reading Omega than reading Uncanny. Yeah, I agree. But this is the end of the Age of X-Men. The idea that uh, Nate Gray has created this. And he, he even says it in the issue. Not an alternate universe, but like its own different dimension reality thing so he's created that but so many of the x-men now realize like this was not real what i thought was was also interesting was how there are a bunch of characters here who like part of age of x-men were created for and in this reality Mm -hmm. like he created them whole cloth and they cannot exist outside of it so there are characters who you know by the end this universe sort of wraps up everybody goes back 
they don't make that trip. Um, right. Which I started thinking about um, Nightcrawler and the child that Kurt and Megan have mm-hmm. and how if he remembers this reality, what does that do to him? Yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, I broke my heart. Yeah. As I was reading this issue and then as I was reading Uncanny X-Men, I just felt like as, as you know, different books, and we, we get that, we get that actually a bunch this week as a bunch of different books wrap up ahead of House of X and Powers of Ten. With these ones especially, I just felt like an enormous amount of pride and um, just happiness in reading these, even though that wasn't necessarily the, the feeling of the narratives per se, because there's a lot of complex emotions going on in them, but like really just for the creative teams, for Zach and Lonnie and Matt, and just, you know, knowing that they have completed these massive undertakings and now are handing the baton off to what's going to be, you know, one of the biggest X-Men moments in years and years and years. It's just awesome. It's it's really, really cool stuff. And to be able to see where these books land is really, really, really cool. Yeah, we're going to be talking about House of X, Powers of Ten soon yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So I'm excited for that, but we got to keep rolling this week. We've got Captain Marvel number eight, a uh, little preview for the Marvel Unlimited section of the show later in the in the episode. Captain Marvel number one is now on Marvel Ooh. Unlimited. So perfect time. You need to get in there. You got to get it. If you've not read it, now's your chance to start on it. But this starts a new arc. This is written by Kelly Thompson, art by Carmen Cañero, colors by Tamar Bonvillain, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, Man, I love this book. It's so good. Kelly and the crew, they've been putting Carol through really rough stuff. And it kind of gets worse here for her, like physically, Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally. She's not 100% on any level. um, But that's kind of what helps make stories better is, you know, the creators, they just have to beat their heroes into the ground because you want to see them persevere and come through and, and be stronger. So there's all all kinds of stuff going on with her, but there's a new superhero named Star who shows up who like there obviously there's something going on with mm-hmm, Star. Mm-hmm. She's taking away some of the glory and the shine from Carol. Obviously it's like getting under Carol's skin in a certain way. All the while she's dealing with health problems. She's dealing with her military career feeling the effects of uh, her Cree heritage now becoming a more public thing. Uh, but there's hope in a big form, and that is Carol's amazing supporting cast and her friends. Spider-Woman and Hulk, Hazmat, Echo, Jessica Jones, Spectrum. Kelly's dialogue in the big group scenes, especially with these characters, reminds me of Bendis and Mm. his Avengers stuff in in some ways, which I I say that is like a big compliment. uh, That was Brian's dialogue on those, you know, when he started on New Avengers was just like changed the way I enjoyed New Avengers and really got me into comics in bigger ways. Mm-hmm. And I think Kelly handles that like bantery, but exciting and fun and per- like you, individual personalities and dynamics, all of it really quick, really fun and snappy, uh, but also with deep emotional ties to all the characters. And of course, I got to give a shout out to Carmen, who's back after I think it was two or three issues off the grittiness, yet big superhero actionness yeah. of Carmen's art. So good. It reminds me of Michael Walsh in some ways mm. uh, or, or even, you know, like a Chris Somney or certain people who do like there's an elegance, there's an, a grittiness and a levelness, but also you feel the big superhero aspects. There's this nine panel grid page. I think it was nine. It might be 12 of 
Carol and Hulk sparring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was one of my favorite moments of this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally agreed. Okay, my first book uh, that I'm covering this week is Daredevil number eight. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with pencils by Lalit Kumar Sharma, uh, inks by Jay Lyston, colors by Javatar Taglia, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is really, uh, you know, we're really digging into this whole, you know, different kind of Daredevil story at this point because the first arc was was a kind of about breaking down um, Matt and taking him to a place where he could conceivably leave the, the suit behind, you know, just digging into what he thinks of everything, why he's ended up where he's ended up, all these different reasons. And, and to see how Chip handles who kind of has filled that void in terms of like the justice and who serves justice in Hell's Kitchen and around New York City, um, but also to see uh, how Chip fleshes out Matt Murdock now that he doesn't have that side of his personality to to live through now that he's kind of decided to take the mask off it's really really fascinating this uh, I couldn't tell you what this issue reminded me of there's a really cool kind of bottle episode kind of vibe to it because a lot of it takes place like in this one apartment kind of over this one dinner table Um, but it's really cool how one chip mixes in some really funny lines in here as well how there's this impending kind of slow sense of dread that kind of just continues to build and build and build as you realize more things about who's sitting at the table why they're there what they have in common with Matt what they don't have in common with Matt what they want from him maybe until things kick off a lot of it is awesome because it's incredible drama just fed by people sitting around a table and talking and revealing things that you didn't know about them uh, and you're just seeing those dynamics play out and seeing who you know stands where it's really cool and I I think that's an incredibly difficult challenge for a writer. I think it's also an incredibly difficult challenge in this case for an artist to make that really compelling, which I totally felt uh, in this issue. But um, yeah, really, really, really fascinating things happening in Daredevil. We talk about the the, uh, the series that are really challenging the status quo, something like, uh, you know, Mortal Hulk is probably one of the first ones that comes to mind in that sense. But in terms of that, in terms of strictly that, what the status quo is for a character um, or a hero coming in and then having someone come in and completely break the mold, completely challenge everything you thought you knew going into it, Daredevil is right up there. Yeah. The kingpin scenes yeah. in this issue reminded me of The Godfather for mm-hmm. some reason. Like mm-hmm. Just like that sense of weight and menace. Yeah. Quiet, but also like there's just this like you almost feel like there's not literal thunderclouds coming, but just like there's something building. Yeah. 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 Uh, up next is Deadpool number 15. And this one is another ending. You know, Tucker, we didn't do our regular video episode for this week. Mm-hmm. We have our special October previews, which you can check out on Marvel's YouTube and Marvel.com and, and Twitter and Facebook and everything, yeah. um, which is a fun one. But if we were doing our episode, I probably would have called like the theme for this one. I would have gone with part of the journey is the end. Yeah. Because there's so many big stories and books ending this week, Deadpool being one of them. This is issue number 15, written by Scotty Young, art by Scott Hepburn and Nick Klein, with colors by Ian Herring and Nick Klein, and letters by Jeff Eckleberry. And so this is the final issue of the run by this team, and they did the book they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It's them being able to wrap up the how and when they want 
to do this. It connects to major themes and stories from Jerry Duggan's run with, you know, Hawthorne and everybody else. But while it also wraps up what they were working with uh, around Mephisto and Weasel and uh, Goodnight, it is gorgeous and sad and dumb funny in a lot of places. Um, It's a really proper Deadpool run. You know, it's it. On one hand, I'm like, oh, it's only 15 issues, but it's a 15 solid issues by a team who is like, this is what we want to do. We're done. Move on. Uh, which I think is, I honestly, I like that. Yeah. I, you know, as someone who has a limited amount of time and space in my brain for things, you know, we were watching Stranger Things this weekend mm-hmm. uh, and I was looking at how many episodes were in it and I was like, oh, great. It's only eight episodes. Yeah. I was so happy. You give me 13. I'm like, okay, that's a 13 hour commitment. You give yeah. me, you know, 23. I'm like, dang, that's, that's a yeah. lot. Yeah. I, you know, finding that time, knowing that this is 15 issues, you know, it's, it's a great slice. It's just a couple of trades really in. Here's what we wanted to say. And we're out. I really like that. The Mephisto bits in particular for this issue are just delightful. Now, what happens to Deadpool? Well, there's going to be an absolute carnage versus Deadpool series starting in August. But the next main Deadpool book, I can't wait. I'm Ooh. very hyped. Do you know? Do you know? Oh, I okay, know. Right. I great. I, great. I, I like. I yeah. sought you out specifically to ask. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, then yeah. you told me, and I lost my mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm real excited. Yeah. For it. Okay. Next up, we have Domino Hot Shots number five. This is another one of those endings we were talking about. This is written by Gail Simone with art by David Baldion and Michael Shelfer. Colors by Jim Charlampetis and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Again, similar to that Deadpool run, I've really enjoyed Gail's work on Domino. She did uh, a short run on just a Domino main series, and now she's done these five issues on Domino Hot Shots. And it's been really, really great, and I feel like it's been a really awesome organic progression of Gail, who obviously knows Domino better than almost anyone else and you know writes it as such and it's it's so fantastic each issue has you know just so much explosive fun and energy about it um and then as kind of i feel like that first series went on and this awesome cast of supporting characters emerged then we went into hot shots which is more of a a team book in that way obviously with domino at the center of it all It, it it just it's a really cool testament to just going towards what feels right and just kind of letting the story be what it wants to be. I feel like this is an issue which if you just kind of took all the details away from it, if, if you presented this to me and said, this is what's going to happen in the four, first four issues, and then this is what's going to happen in the fifth issue, and you didn't tell me that it was a Gail Simone book, you didn't tell me any of that stuff, uh, I would be like, wait, what? what? <laughs> um, I would be completely mystified by it. But because it's Gail Simone, because it's one of the best comic book writers out there, it just works. It just works. There are some really, specifically what I'm talking about that, are some really cool kind of cosmic elements that come into play, some more mystical uh, elements, some elements that are a little bit harder to find, some things that we actually don't get to see that much for kind of more of a grounded bounty hunter kind of mercenary character like Domino who is more kind of flesh and blood story usually. So to get these really, really, really cool mystical elements that come into play here in a a really big way and just blow this story up right at the end, it works. It, It 
in a lot of ways it feels like it shouldn't, but it just absolutely does because uh, there's just this amazing balance of you know those these incredible visuals and uh, obviously I'm a huge fan of David Baldion, but also with you know what I think has been a central theme throughout all of Gale's run on on both Domino books is just like this focus on who this character is, where she comes from, and why she is the way she is. Tie that into the the cast of supporting characters that we talked about earlier. It's just great stuff. Yeah, uh, I realized as you were talking about Gale that we have three creators on books this week who are on our This Week in Marvel panel on Friday. It's Friday. Triple P is nice. laughing at me and nodding. Uh, <laughs> on Friday, Gail Simone, mm. Jody Hauser, mm. and Jeremy Whitley. Wow. Uh, all three of them have books that we're talking about this week. We didn't plan it that way, but it just worked out. How about that? I loved that Domino book. Um, and it's one of the things that I always enjoy is like I give my wife select comics she's yeah. like give me the stuff that you love that you really like that you think i'll really like because she has limited time to read mm-hmm. and so i gave her all the dom the first run of domino and she was like i love this book and mm-hmm. she's not like a huge domino yeah. fan. it's not like she read about domino's exploits with cable and x-force in the 90s like i did <laughs> right. uh she loved domino and she loves hot shots so um if it, if it gets through to elizabeth it's a big big plus <laughs> all right also, something my wife is reading is The Mortal Hulk, and we have issue number 21 out this week. Oh, boy. This one is incredible. It is written by Al Ewing with guest art by Ryan Bodenheim, colors by Paul Mounts, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And it is my first pick of the week. I couldn't help it. Surprise, surprise. You know, like I, I don't... Hey, I do not blame you. I tried not to. I, I was like, no, I'll pick something. And then I... Went back through all the issues this week, and I was like, damn it. I can't. I can't not pick this. Yeah. I want to point out to two particular pages, most of all, uh, about this. So it's the first page and the last page. Mm. Uh, They are these twisted mirror – not mirrors because it's not the exact same image. Yeah. But it's sort of like, you know, you look at a a, – not a reverse, something like a dark version of oneself, yeah. but they they mirror each other in the way they're framed and the character who's there. But they show this like how time has passed for this character, how their life has changed, yeah. uh, and it's so cool. Like one of them is uh, this image of a character in this like, suit of armor, and it's a bit of. Kirby meets Mobius sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. There's really clean lines. It is vibrant and big. It just looks gorgeous. Yeah. Really, really cool. And then the the other one is like H.R. Giger meets David Cronenberg. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like horrible. The colors are like nasty. It gets under your skin. It's gross. You can... You almost feel the the wetness and the <laughs> slime and the, like the the hair and the teeth like every there's this tactile like raise the the hackles on your neck yeah. kind of feel and it's the same character but now at two de- very different points and then the story in between that is that transition and yeah. it's about one character sort of this person who's been on the periphery for a lot of Hulk stuff and who's we've been circling them and they're been becoming a bigger part of the immortal hulk story and now like it's there yeah and it, like that 
there's a moment in this issue where I could hear the swell of music from Return of the King when Frodo puts on the ring finally and he breaks bad and he just yeah. finally like gives up and he puts the ring on. And he's like, they're in Mount Doom and yeah. just like that. Everything is was going to plan and then it's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So good. I loved this. There's really a crash course in this character. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, if you're behind or you're not reading it, I don't want to give too much away. Just tell you that you have to read this. It tells us everything about this character, but keeps that immortal Hulk train rolling. The art is just masterful and creepy. Huge win. It, it takes those elements of what I was talking about, the sci-fi, the horror, and it, you know, swirls them together at points where you just got this really great comic. I, I have uh, several things to say one is how on average how far i guess it probably depends in a lot of different ways but on average how far ahead in terms of writing and actually creating a comic uh like how many issues ahead would you say the average series is i think maybe rough rough estimate is they're three months out okay right so Immortal Hulk, I think, comes out a little bit more frequently. Yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe this would be maybe five issues ahead or four or five. Yeah, something like that. So I'm just wondering that because Ryan Bodenheim, the the guest artist on this issue, this is his first work that he's done on Immortal Hulk. Like, that must be the coolest call to receive ever. (laughs) You know, because if this is issue 21, that means maybe he got a call around, who knows, 15 or something like that. You're that many issues deep into what is already like a landmark legendary run of a comic. And then you get this call that says, hey, do you want to do an issue? That must be like the biggest, coolest thing ever. And then to come to the plate and to just knock it out of the park this way is just awesome. I think we we, we saw something similar with Venom last week where there was a guest artist and, and and I don't recall. but But again, it's just like these huge books where... You just know everyone is bringing their A-game. And the other thing that I wanted to say was this is so awesome because, you know, it's one of those things where if you told me that we would get to an issue of Immortal Hulk and it's like, well, all right, maybe if you didn't tell me Immortal Hulk just because it's so good, I would believe anything you say about that. But if you just said, all right, here's a series about this character. We're going to get to an issue where the the title character is like on one page yeah. of the whole story. And it's really just about some other supporting character. And I'd be like, oh, all right, sure. But it's but of course it's amazing. And you're just like pulled yeah. in. And now I start thinking about what you're saying and like Ryan having to do this, you know, when he's only seen up to a certain point in the series. Yeah. He may be drawing things that the public hasn't even seen yet that right. may only have a, con- a co- some concept art or some things because there's some intense stuff in here that you know ties into the bigger narrative. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's so good. Yeah. If you're not on the Immortal Hulk train yet, I don't know what to do. What else can we say? Yeah. It is <laughs> like, and if you have not read any of the issues, just pick this one up. Yeah. Pick this one up, and you, I, almost guarantee you have to go back. Yeah. All right. Next book is Invaders, issue number seven, which is written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis, colors by Alex Kunarnas, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I love this book. It's another one. Like I feel like. People are sleeping on this book, but it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the last issue, Namor sort of went full out attack mode and he turned humans, uh, American citizens, into Atlanteans, like mm-hmm. water breathers. Mm-hmm. And so this issue, I love it. Captain America is like handing out special iPads to people or Stark pads yeah. to, to people underwater. Like, it'll work underwater. You can keep in contact with, you know, your family. And they're like, 
cool, but now I'm blue and I live underwater. Yeah, yeah. And then I started, what do they eat? Like, how does that change? I don't know anything. I, yeah. I, can they not eat hot dogs normally anymore? Right. I, it's a bummer. Yeah, that is a bummer. Because <laughs> um, nobody wants a wet, cold, soggy hot Unless dog. Unless you're Joey Chestnut. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't check up on the July 4th uh, hot dog eating. I think he, I assume he 71. Won. Sick. Horrifying. <laughs> Horrifying. Uh, but, you know, there, there's so much more to the story. I love the detailed art by Carlos here. It's really wild. There's this one panel. He does one or two of these panels, almost full pages, every issue of just this vista of whether it's, you know, Atlantis uh, or, or the, you know, Namor's Kingdom or it's something above ground. Beautiful colors by Alex and just super detailed, like little things that – must have taken so much time to put together, yeah. but it's so gorgeous. Uh, and then you go to the flashback stuff, which is that gritty wartime feel by Butch, who does. Uh, there's Red Skull shows up in this story in the flashback, and if you look at it really closely in a couple of the panels, he gets real Kirby-ish yeah. with uh, his Red Skull and even with his some of his other character faces. And I was like, man, that feels so good. It feels so right. It looks so cool. Um, also in this issue, Captain America and Iron Man have a little tiff at each other. They're taking off their gloves and smacking each other across the face. War's brewing. Again, do not sleep on this book. It is tremendous. Before you go to Loki, uh, I just want to make a real quick note. League of Legends Lux number three came out last week. It is written by John O'Brien, art by Billy Tan, Hainig, and Gadsden of Tan Comics. Uh, this one really focuses on Lux's meetings with uh, the magic no good Nick in the cell Silas and how that all gets exposed, how that flips Lux's life in all different directions. And we'll see like where she goes from here. It's, it's a fun book. Nice. Uh, okay. Next up we have Loki number one. This is a big one. One I've been really excited for, um, really looking forward to. This is uh, one of those issues that has emerged from all of the amazing action going down in war of the realms. Uh, now that that's over, this uh, series can begin. It's written by Daniel Kibblesmith, drawn by Oscar Balzadua, colored by David Curiel, and lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. It's really interesting to see essentially Loki's new positioning here in relation to the Frost Giants, how he comes out of War of the Realms, and then where we jump into the story, as it should be with, I feel like, a, a Loki book. You really aren't on certain footing for most of this issue because you're jumping between place to place. You're jumping between eras. Oftentimes, of course, with the God of Mischief, you don't know what's real and what's not. And it's really interesting, especially to see how Thor is brought into this along the way because they're obviously that relationship, that brotherly relationship is so central to both of these characters. But to see Daniel's interpretation of that and to see how he evolves that and innovates with that is really, really cool. Specifically how he innovates and takes Loki's powers to a different place, to a new place and see, um, you know, to see these different dark visions and versions of what Loki can be. It's all really, really fascinating stuff. I'm super into it. Uh, like I said, I think it was from an issue. Uh, yeah, you know, it was the uh, War of the Realms Omega, which had this great um, little Loki story in it written by Daniel Kibblesmith. You know, reading that and then going into this issue, I, I absolutely am really confident of great things to come, not just from from Daniel, but from this series and uh, everyone involved. Really, really excited. Yeah. Um, 
I this was nearly one of my picks this week. I hemmed and hawed about it, but there's a note in the back by Kibblesmith about the book and I'm, you know, telling like sort of thinking behind it and stuff. Uh, I grabbed a quote, which I really liked. It said, Loki, the book Loki, is a story about and for and honestly by the kids who really try to do everything right and still get punished for it. Those who can't shut off their minds, who don't think before they speak, who try every door just to see if it's unlocked and then try the next door behind it. And he calls him Loki, the god of something else entirely. Mm. God of mischief or evil, but there's something else. And that's a sort of what we're going to explore in this book, which I'm very excited for. Uh, if you need reasons, Nightmare's in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very nearly almost naked Thor with like all his abs and crevices <laughs> showing uh, with a, a, a sheet strategically <laughs> draped around him. Uh, there's a snowman a literal snowman that is created and brought to life by loki using the norn stones Mm -hmm. and a little bit of magic and he calls him frosty (laughs) so good it is real fun i i can't wait for everybody to start digging into this yeah all right next book is marvel's spider-man city at war number five written by dennis hopeless hallam with art by michele bandini and luca maesca with colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And this one, it introduces uh, the game's version of the Sinister Six, spotlights some of my favorite Mary Jane parts of the game, uh, gives us a major Miles Morales beat, and sets up the big finale that'll come next issue. Nice. Okay, next up we have Punisher Annual number one, and this is under the Axe of Evil banner. Uh, This is uh, written by Carla Pacheco with pencils by Adam Gorham, inks by Andy Owens, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, This is a really, really, really fun issue because uh, essentially it is kind I wouldn't call it a team up because they're hardly allies at any point in (laughs) the story, but it's like a two-hander between, yes, the Punisher, but also J. Jonah Jameson. What a weird and wonderful combo that is. It's not only that. You don't not only take the, uh, I mean, talk about freaking perturbed. I mean, we got Triple P over here, but we have Triple J in here who is always perturbed. So you take him, you take Frank Castle, and then you put them on a spaceship and then you get this issue. It is so much fun. It's so out there. It's so great to see Frank being Frank and dealing with things in a Frank way, which involves a lot of big, like, you know, blam. <laughs> uh, uh, shooty, shooty. Yeah, exactly. And then to see Jonah reacting to that is really awesome. I also love the little shout outs that we get to, of course, John Jameson and things like that in here. A really, really fun issue. Totally out there. Totally weird. Totally different. Really, really great stuff. Speaking of that exact brand of comic books, next up is Secret Warps Ghost Panther Annual Number 1. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Carlos Gomez, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And this is my first pick of the week uh and yeah for exactly that reason i there's something about i i'm really into that concept of like seeing any given creator whether that's a writer or an artist mature um and then be like be able to look back and be like oh this is when that person really 
became next next level. Um, but I feel like I just have I, I don't have the empirical or like I couldn't pinpoint it um, specifically, but it just in my gut, I feel like we are in the middle of the like supernova of Al Ewing because we know that he obviously has this like crazy brain, which I remember going back to reading, um, you know, him writing Inhumans and, and things like that a couple years ago being like this dude's brain is, is scares me. I'm afraid of it. He, he is just like, like the most incredible mental powers uh, and obviously such an amazing handle of, of everything, every minute detail of the Marvel Universe through, of course, one of the best books on shelves today, Immortal Hulk. Uh, and now into something like this and why I point something out, why I have that whole conversation thinking and talking about the just Ghost Panther of all things is because it's Ghost Panther of all things. It's because it's this wacky and weird mashup character that came out of Infinity Wars last year. And then the Secret Warps characters started popping up. Uh, and there's been some really, really fun ones and really, really fun stories. But again, it's just about this energy that Al kind of imbues this with that I'm speaking to more than anything else. It's seeing Al Ewing take on this new character, a bunch of new characters, whether it's Ghost Panther or Captain Peace, who we talked about last year, or the the Secret Warps characters, 2099 versions of them. Yeah, like this story warps Days of Future Past, the yeah. Kill Raven, March and Invasion, and 2099. <laughs> right. Again, like I said, it's one of those things that you're just like, what? How? Why? And then you read it and you're like, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it has two of two of the best warps, I, I think, of this you know second generation of warps yeah. books. One being in the backup story, mm-hmm. which is Misty Knight and Blade warp oh, together. Come on. Yeah. She's so awesome. Blade. Oh man. Uh, but truly, the best is uh, the one that takes Iron Man 2020, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, Arnor Stark with mm-hmm. the gears and everything, mashes it with Dargo Couture, the mulleted, beautiful baby boy of the future, yeah. my favorite Thor. <laughs> uh, there is nothing greater than that. Yeah, such, such good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, oh boy, my second pick of the week is Silver Surfer Black, number two. Oh, man. Oh, man. I called this one as as soon as I could because yeah. I had to pick this one. This one is uh, storytellers are Donny Cates and Trad Moore on script and art with colors by Dave Stewart and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. How is this book real? Yeah. Like, yeah, this book is from another planet. It is just gorgeous and weird and cool and ambitious and... Some of my favorite work from both Donnie and Trad, which is wild to even think about because anytime those guys do anything, mm-hmm. they just shred. Like mm-hmm. they just go all out. But this is that like, oof, perfectness. Uh, there's a panel of Galactus doing his thing early in the book. And the way that Silver Surfer is drawn in these in this panel, he's, it's like sit, he's sitting on the board with his knees to his chest, his arms around his legs. He looks so small and sad and sweet and just like that image sticks with me. Mm -hmm. And like that in the foreground while Galactus is doing all this thing, you like think of the how much that weighs on on Silver Surfer. It's something that has been so important to the character, that humanity of things. uh, But that the way it's drawn is incredible. Mm -hmm. This one talks about how Null, the god of the symbiotes, is caged and sort of what he's caged in. And I, have we talked? Has this been revealed before? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Yeah, because we read so many things, and I, it's been in my head, 
and specifically don't talk about it. Yeah. It's so cool. Don't talk about it. You don't want to spoil it for people. Don't talk about it. <laughs> and so it's in this book. And I'm just so excited for, for this to be part of the story. And I never pictured it the way it is depicted here. Right. Which I, how could I? Yeah. I can't think of the way, tra- like, he draws multidimensionally, it almost feels mm-hmm. like. There's this just layers upon layers of weird, cool, undulating mass to different things in this issue, especially the, this cage around Null. It's, it's great. It looks bonkers. We actually go back to the dawn of time to see this cage, to see Null, um, to see all these different things. We get a battle between Silver Surfer and Null in this issue. What Null does to the Silver Surfer, there's like this one panel where he has done something to Surfer, changes pretty much his form and everything. Mm-hmm. If that's not a toy in like a year or two, <laughs> I don't even know. I got to call Jesse Falcon yeah. up and be like, Jesse, <laughs> you know that new sound you're looking for? Listen, Listen to, to this. this. And then it'll be a picture <laughs> over the phone and he'll be very confused. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so great. And Donnie's always good with those last page, like cliffhanger reveal moments. And this is less sort of like a cliffhanger. It is a, a reveal. It is a character introduced into this story. It is one of the most breathtaking last pages I've ever seen. Yeah. It, wow. For me. like praise. And I, we had recently talked about this character's first appearance showing up on the last page of a comic on This Week in Marvel. And this is a very reminiscent of that in the same way that that first appearance has a, had a profound effect on me because it just looks so absolutely different from anything else out there. Mm-hmm. This also looks absolutely different from anything else out there. I, I like. I want to own this, and I imagine Trad probably drew this digitally. Mm-hmm. And I would just still want someone to make a <laughs> giant poster of this last page for yeah. me because it is magical. It. I realized also we were talking about a little chippy chip chip before. Yeah, it's a triple chip dip week. We've got three Chip Zdarsky issues: Whoa. Daredevil, Invaders. And Spider-Man Life Story, which number five is our next issue to talk about this week, written by ya boy Chip Z, pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dale, colors by Frank Darmada, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Look, this book has been amazing and it <laughs> continues to be amazing. I don't want to talk too much about it because it's set in 2006, full of tragedy and heartbreak. In this one, Moreland shows up. <laughs> if you know Moreland's story in the... Main Marvel Universe, you know he shows up, nearly kills Spider-Man multiple times. Uh, He's part of Spider-Verse and Spider-Geddon. He's terrifying. So he shows up in this reality, this reality which has like multiple Spider-Man and Peter has a family and there's all kinds of things that could potentially go wrong. At the same time, Civil War is going on in this reality because that was when it was happening in Marvel Comics, the same time frame. And so you have Iron Man on one side and Captain America on the other and then who else falls into those lines? Um, the only thing I wish that we had was a, like a timeline yeah. of the, the decade or so in between each issue of like, okay, so when did this happen? Did this act, you know, like how did this all shake out? Because there's a very clear like progression for these characters and their stories. Mm-hmm. So good. Then this like also reminds me of X-Men Grand Design where it's like mm. taking a bunch of different disparate elements and then weaving them into one very cohesive 
through line and story. It's really, really awesome. Uh, okay, next up, I have Star Wars Dr. Afra number 34. This is written by Simon Spurrier with art by Wilson Santos, Chris Bolson, and Andrea Bricardo. With inks by Mark Deering and Walden Wong, colors by Chris O'Halloran and Stefan Petru, and lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, we've been getting into a really interesting area in recent issues of Dr. Afra, where we've been jumping back and forth a lot more into her past, her childhood, her relationship with her mother, and seeing how that impacts her present in a, in, in a bunch of different ways. And this issue continues in that vein. It's really cool. Also making a grand return in this uh, issue is the old BK. Nope, not Brooklyn, not Burger King, not Barnaby Carlson. Yep, not that guy either. It's Black Hersantin. Uh Okay, so as a Star Wars aficionado, maybe what is your ranking of top few Wookies? Okay, um. This is tough. I uh, I automatically want to go back and uh, to Christmas nineteen seventy seven with the Christmas two years after engine. you were born. Uh, yep, uh, and and just put all of Chewbacca's weird family right at the top. Lumpy's got to be yeah. right up there, <laughs> right at the top, uh, immediately with a bullet. Uh, and then uh, I guess old BK is probably. I think he's just off in the Mount Rushmore. You know what I mean? If we're, that's how I often think really? about these things. He's just off, but big fan, and what a wonderful wild card. Wait, did always... you even say Chewbacca? Well, yeah, come on, man. I, no, man, you can't just, like, that's how. That's, I, sure. That's I how mean, yeah, that's Palpatines a... get, get you yeah, know, into right. power. Someone you're just right. forgets a little thing, and then boop boop doop Hey, you know, I was being online um, <laughs> recently, and, uh, and I, I don't know, I came across this one, one of those little graphics or something, it was like, uh, Pick out your birthday month, and then I said, and it was a Star Wars one, and I said, okay, December, and it said, you, this is your fate in the Star Wars universe, and it was December, and it said, you get killed in a lightsaber duel with, and then it said, your first name begins with a letter, and I went to T, and it said, Chewbacca, so <laughs> I spent like a solid half hour this weekend just imagining Chewbacca and like some sort of cool story moment where like Chewie gets a lightsaber and chops somebody in half, I don't know, it could be awesome. Uh, it's my dream. <laughs> That's my dream way to go out. I believe in you. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. Next up, we have Star Wars Tie Fighter number four. What a fun series this has been. Uh, the story is by Jody Hauser with art by Rohe Antonio and Iguara. Colors by Arif Prianto and Jean-Francois Bellieu with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Hey, here's one of your twin guests right here. Yep. Jojo Jody. Nice. This issue specifically, actually, and, you know, with this TIE Fighter limited series, we've been getting to know this new cast of characters, all of whom, of course, are TIE Fighter pilots, the people that they deal with in the Empire to see. And it's fun to kind of see the bad, bad guys, the good, bad guys, you know, the neutral, what like to dig into that and to dig into what for me is actually a very crucial motif in all of Star Wars is the kind of gray area and just finding yourself pulled towards someone whether or not they're nominally on the wrong team or whatever uh so to have an entire series where we get to play in that space is really really fun this issue specifically though actually reminded me and made me think a lot about just Top Gun because it's like these bantering hotshot pilots who just kind of have their own thing going 
Um, they have their own relationship dynamics and getting to know them that way as the, those, I guess, interpersonal dynamics shift and change. And then on a level on top of that, as we get to know uh, personally on a very close personal and familial kind of level, um, uh, one or two of the pilots, it's really, really cool to see that all shift your perspective as the story continues. Great stuff, great stuff all around. Uh, but next up, we have to go on to my second pick of the week, which is Superior Spider-Man number nine. This is written by Christos Gage with pencils by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Wade Von Grabadger, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Why I picked this book is because, yes, we love the jerk hero. Uh, we love the San Francisco Spider-Man, as he's called and given the key to San Francisco in this issue. I'll get to the emotional stuff in a second, but first off, you had your... Dargo Couture moment. I was earlier. hoping you would yes. get here. Uh, Let's get into but it. But man, I turned a page in here. Uh, I turned the page yes. in this issue and came across Mr. Turner D. Century. Woo! Oh man. Were you familiar with him? Yes. Previously? Okay, good. One of the all time greats. Super classic. What era would this be? Uh, like so 70s? he, I believe he was first created in the late 70s, but yeah. was killed in the 80s. Sometime where Scourge was killing a bunch of low-level supervillains. Right. And he was just off because, you know, people were like, oh, he's turned into century. Yeah. He's nobody. No. He's a legacy. <laughs> Three cheers to Christos and the team for bringing back the majesty of Turner D. It, it just works. I love it so much. Like, it somehow provides, like, this amazing contrast to the superior Spider-Man who's, like, Pretty intense and, like, pretty, you know, mean and, like, pretty straight in that way. Like, he's, like, he, like, is who he is, Otto Octavius, and that's why we love him. But to have then Mr. TDC show up, oh, man, what a delight. That handlebar mustache. No. It's got that. The, the Raleigh fingers. What is it? What is that called? A, uh, it's, the swirly whirly. Yeah, swirly whirly. Yeah. But he's got the hat. He's got the, the suit. He, the, the, like, spats. He's yeah, the spats. The, the spats. He, he rides a uh, a tandem bicycle. Yeah. Uh, he has like a, an umbrella <laughs> that does wacky things, like you know, is on fire and stuff. But also has the what? It's like a horn. Yeah. That, a horn that hurts you if you are under the age of sixty-five. <laughs> he is <laughs> so like, good. He's. I remember his history. He's like literally just a. Dude who just liked, you know, early 20th century is like, oh, I wish I was born around 1900. And so he just adopted to, all yeah, of that. Yeah. Just the best. So good. And so that is like the meat of, of why I love this issue so much. But for someone like Christos Gage, who we know is a masterful writer, to swing from Trinity Century uh, action to uh, these like big emotional beats and do it all very organically and have it make total sense and feel completely right is is really something to to write home about here and, and it, it's great stuff, man. I'm 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 like I got my hit of Eternity Century and I'm like I'm already like jonesing for more. Yeah, I don't know when he's gonna show up again. Who the hell knows? But I need it. I need it now. I hope he's one of those characters that just like gets in. The, our comic creators' yes. minds. Yeah, we've seen that. Just, yeah. You know what? I should do a story with yeah. Jordan G. It was like we had Nightmare for a little yep. while. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, it's like Taskmaster. Yes. Various characters will bubble up. Yeah. Hopefully. Just something in the water. Yeah. Eternity Century. 
Fingers crossed. Come on, folks. I was reading this issue and thinking about recent runaways where Carolina goes for therapy mm. and how Otto needs therapy. Yeah. Like he needs to talk to someone. When yeah. he finally talks to someone in this issue, you can see, and it's masterfully done by Hawthorne and Christos and the team, of like the way he just feels better. Mm-hmm. And it's the set, like washing out of him. Yeah. He needs to talk things through a little bit. It's, it's the same for everybody. All right. Next book is Uncanny X-Men number 22. This is the end. Written by Matthew Rosenberg. Art by Salvador LaRocca with David Messina. Colors by Guru EFX. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous cover by Wolf Portacio. But this is it. This is the end of the X-Men before House of X and Powers of Ten does whatever it does. No spoilers. Two and four and with the X-Men. Um, this is really like the progression. And I mentioned earlier in the show, if you're going to read this and Age of X-Men Omega Read Age of X-Men first because it does play into some of the story. Mm-hmm. If you're not reading Age of X-Men, you can still get by and and everything will be on the page for you. But put them together, you get a, a, an even better sort of broader view of things. But what we found out by the end of last issue, spoilers, if you've not caught up, give you a chance to pause, move yep. ahead. Yep. Spoilers. Emma Frost has... <laughs> Made it so no one perceives that mutants are real. Doesn't see the X-Men as anything more than humans. There's like, has used mutant machines and other things to basically mask them. Yeah. Uh, And that provides a really interesting conversation piece here because some of the characters are like, so we're just hiding. Mm. We're hiding who we are. Mm. We're pretending not to exist and be true to ourselves in order to continue to exist. That's no existence at all, says some people. Some people say, I'd rather live this way than not live. I've watched too many of my family members, my friends die because of them being simply who they are. So, which I think is just, it is so tantamount to what X-Men is. It's it's a, a conversation about humanity, about real world issues, whatever it is, whether it's you know, race or gender or sexual orientation. There are pieces of this that so many of us see in the X-Men. That's Mm -hmm. why it's always been so powerful for me, so powerful for someone like Matt or anyone else who has grown up reading the X-Men. And that conversation sort of comes to the fore in here and how that settles out, I will not say, uh, but it's heartbreaking and terrifying and sweet and there's big emotional swells and great action. Uh, It is... It is what you wanted out of this. And, you know, Matt having done 12 issues on his own, 22 in total with Ed Brisson and Kelly Thompson uh, with that first 10 issues in there. Oh, plus the annual. So he's got that in there. Yeah. Plus the War of the Realm story. You know, he's like been able to put a little bit of mark on the X-Men. But I know he's not done. Like I know oh, yeah. he's got more stories to tell with the X-Men. You know, I mentioned it right at the top of the show. But it's like, again, such great stuff. Knowing that like okay, these characters are busy over in the Age of X-Men. These characters are off the board on uh, in Uncanny for whatever reason, things like that. So just to have Matt, you know, to to have him, you know, know he was given the remit of just like, here's who's on the board. Here's who you could play with. Tell a story. 
and to to see the what he's done with these issues um you know jumping off of those first 10 which he he wrote so wonderfully with with kelly thompson and ed brisson and now go through uh issue number 22 here it's just great stuff all around uh and yeah i'm i'm totally with totally totally with you can't wait to see uh what uh, he has in mind in the years uh to come with uh the mutants great stuff okay next up we have the unstoppable wasp number 10 uh and here's another Here's another ender. This is written by this week of Marvel guest. That's San Diego Comic-Con. You read Jeremy Whitley. Hi, uh, Jeremy. With art by Guru Hero and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, this issue has so much stuff in it. Okay, so we're starting in a former Red Room bunker in Siberia. We have these super unsettling robot-y, like, replicate you creepy thingies that are going on. That's their scientific yep. names. Yep. Yes. Um, uh, we have some great emotional beats. Um, as you were talking about Uncanny X-Men there, I, I, I felt a, a certain kinship with, with um, what's going down in this issue in that way because we get our team members to come together. We get some great moments here, specifically with the Agents of Girl, with Nadia. We get these big emotional moments that th- that happen. Just really, really excellent stuff all around that I think ties up a lot of what has been a really fun 10 issues, a really emotionally impactful 10 issues, uh, 10 issues that for me have really, really moved and progressed Nadia Van Dyne as a character into a completely new place and a place that is, of course, faithful to everything she's ever ever been, but has matured it and given it new weight in, in a bunch of different ways. You know, Unstoppable Wasp had a run a year or two ago, which was beloved by fans. Uh, and it was that passion by the fans that brought her back. We got these great 10 issues here. And now Jeremy Whitley is, of course, going on to write Future Foundation. So much exciting stuff happening over there. And we're wrapping stuff up. Right now, this week, with another issue number 10. This is X-Force number 10. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. This is another one that, like, not only when you're reading it, knowing, again, that House of X and Powers of 10 are coming swiftly on the horizon, but also, you know, looking back and, and, and seeing how this individual story arc is wrapping up to see where these characters land um, and to see what, you know, how kind of Ed, uh, you know, pushes them off and sails them off uh, to wherever they may go. It's been really, really fun to see, okay, Ed Brisson, here is an X-Force team. Go have fun. Let's see what you can do. And and I think that's this that he's a writer that fits absolutely perfectly with this team. And Dylan Burnett, of course, with the super kinetic, super uh, just really awesome. One of my favorite uh, artists out there. Artwork to complement it. Um, you know, I almost want to say in that way that like buy this book for the art. Enough said because it's just so cool. It's so dynamic. The colors are gorgeous. Of course, those colors by Jesus Abertov. Uh, really, really great stuff. Love to see uh, how this ended. I was really, really curious where this was going to land, especially a book that's so much about like the energy and the fight and the kind of just like badass metal spirit of this team to see how that was going to wrap up. Man, a lot of farewells this week to a bunch of different issues, but uh, that's that's in, uh, you know, with a lot of really exciting stuff incoming. Yeah, it's... Uh 
going to be interesting. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about House of X and Powers of Time. Oh, yeah. We'll get um, Okay, those are the issues on sale this week. Collections on sale include Black Widow, No Restraints Play. Highly suggest you pick that up. That's the recent Black Widow series by the Soska sisters. So good. Oh, yeah. Uh, Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown. So good as well. It's an <laughs> 80s gem. It is. Have you ever looked at this book? No. It is wild. It has got some of the coolest art. I think it's John J. Muth painted. Nice. It's, it's bonkers. It's right. beautiful. Awesome. We have Miles Morales, Volume 1, Straight Out of Brooklyn. Thanos by Donnie Cates. Tomb of Dracula, Day of Blood, Night of Redemption. Wolverine, The Long Night. X-Men Epic Collection, It's Always Darkest Before the Dawn, and X-Men Milestones, Fall of the Mutants. Oh, Fall of the Mutants, so good. There's a lot on Marvel Unlimited this week, including, as I mentioned earlier, Captain Marvel number one. We've got some 70s Marvel team-ups in there. Uh, you got an issue of Miles Morales' Spider-Man, some sensational Spider-Man from the 90s and the uh, early 2000s, and plenty more full lists for all this will be on Marvel.com, and you can check that out. I'm going to go to Comic-Con soon. Woo. How's that? Your brief reprieve has concluded. Why? And now you go, you, you go, get on that airplane, go to San Diego. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, reminder once again, uh, we'll have stage show for Marvel's Apollos. We'll have panel and stage show for This Week in Marvel. And if you see me at the convention, give me, uh, tell me. Uh, ham him. Ham him. What does that mean? This is a thing I used to do back in high school, okay? Get a piece of loose lunch meat ham, walk up by your friends, dangle the piece of ham nope. by their cheek Don't as they're that. turning the other direction, and then call their name, and they turn, they and they oh. just slap their own cheek into the ham, and then you say, you just been hammed, and you run away. All right, how about, I change that a little bit. <laughs> okay. You, if you see me at Comic-Con, find me and say, Triple P loves ham, I will give you something special. Nice. While quantities last, uh, <laughs> and then uh, I'll know you've listened to this episode through to the end, and we'll all be very happy. Good stuff. Yep. Uh, but we'll be back next week because this train keeps rolling. Comics keep happening. It's going to be great. That's right. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. You're yours. <laughs>